fight! You are a god. No! Again. You are a god. Characters don't pay off, the relationships don't develop. The movie is well, a I real think, disappointment. I th You're listening to the Buzz Kill Podcast. Episode 79, welcome back to the Buzzkill Podcast, where when it comes to movies, bad means good and great means we probably haven't seen it. <laughs> I'm Mike. I'm Jim. And I'm Justin. And I have a question for you gentlemen. Yes, one Did time. Oh, oh, does it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'm fucked. Straight fucked. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, we're seeing a movie that you that people have universally just panned and said, this movie's terrible, don't ever watch it. Yeah, and then you watched it, and you're like, I don't understand. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, I just watched one yesterday. <laughs> no, no, did you? No, did you? Well, that's what we're talking about this week. We mentioned it, uh, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, mm -hmm. that uh, we were going to do an episode about uh, kind of revisiting uh, revisiting some classic for the wrong reason movies, and uh, kind of revisiting them with fresh eyes and see, are they really as bad as people claim them to be? Well, there's there's a there's a problem with <clears throat> I like I, I've always said I I kind of I I hate uh, I hate critics yeah because critics for the most part it just it seems like they know that negativity is gonna sell more than positivity sure like if you put out a if you put out a review that says oh man this movie was awesome I loved it like for some reason people don't people don't pay as much attention to that as they do the negative stuff no you know it's not I mean? even like the news you're not gonna run happy go lucky stories about you know, children's laughs and, and tulips blooming in the summer. Unless you're... you live in Canada. <laughs> Unless you live in Canada. New speed bumps this week, folks. <laughs> Everybody gets free maple syrup for a year. Sorry. Is um, that uh what? Is that Canadianist? Canadianist? <laughs> um no, I'm pretty sure it's their No, I think they would be really excited if they got free maples. I would be excited for free maple syrup for a year. It's expensive. Yeah, who was telling somebody was telling me recently about a documentary <clears throat> that was all about a huge Canadian maple syrup heist. Like this is a real thing. <laughs> what? Who the hell was telling liquid, me about this? It's liquid gold, it man. It sounds it sounded fascinating, but it was literally like these guys came up with this like this idea to steal maple Canada has a maple syrup reserve. Do they really? Yeah, like a giant Holy underground. Shit. That's what backs their loonies and toonies, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's instead <laughs> the of gold reserve instead of the federal reserve. <laughs> That's why their money's worth so much more than ours. Uh, I don't think it is actually, but 
To me, it is because I love maple it's syrup. It's close. Is it? But no, is it, is it Fort Buttersworth? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they, they have a they have like an actual reserve, like some place at like this fortress where they have barrels and barrels of uh, of of maple syrup. And these guys started taking just small amounts of the maple syrup and and replacing it with water. And then they were taking it over to some other country and selling it for like top dollar. Well, and they were getting rich off of this. Pure and the maple only syrup reason, was pretty expensive, in all the, fairness. The only reason they got pinched was because uh, they were replacing the maple syrup that they stole with water. Uh-huh. And it was making the 50-gallon drums sweat. And maple syrup doesn't sweat. Doesn't, yeah. So that's how they got found out. I sweat. When Isn't I, that crazy? When I drink an entire bottle of maple syrup, I start to sweat. <laughs> yeah. Get them syrup sweats. Those maple sweats. <laughs> that's, it's like, that's the most, like, it's the most... <clears throat> It's the most Canadian thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> well, the most American thing you'll ever hear is us complaining about everything, which yeah. is why we're doing this episode. Hopefully we can give these movies a little bit of a better uh, better reputation. To, uh, to answer your own question, have you, aside from what we're talking about tonight, have you can you think of a movie that is like universally panned that um, you actually watched and enjoyed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think that any of these types of movies necessarily you're not going to change your mind from going this movie is terrible to this movie being oh my god this is the greatest movie i've ever seen right you're not going to make that kind of jump i think though that a lot of movies though do get the short end of the stick a lot of times based purely on um whether it be the fans the fans can just decide that something is bad whether it is or not um one of the one of the classic examples that i that i always go back to and i know that i might get a lot of grief for this um Hellraiser Revelations is is universally known as the absolute worst of the Hellraiser movies right. because it's got fat pinhead and this and that. <laughs> First off, he's not fat; he's actually normal size. Doug, Doug Bradley is just a really skinny dude. Well, I think it's, I think it's more so. Doesn't he have a really like squared off jaw? Yeah, I think that's his, a, what makes him look bigger. Was he was he the best choice for that role? Clearly not. That that being said, though, for all the the problems that that movie had, um, you know, and the whole reasons that it was made and all that stuff. I I'm a proponent that that what that movie does right though, it does well, mm-hmm. and there are there are absolutely redeeming parts about that movie, and it is nowhere near as bad as people claim that it is. Right on. There's got bad parts to it, yes, but I don't think that it should be. Uh, hell, I think that uh, Hell Hell World, even though that has Doug Bradley, and I think that's the worst Hellraiser movie. Hell quite World. frankly. Oh, was that the one with the uh, the video the game, game one? Game. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, even uh, <clears throat> even what's his name couldn't uh, Lance Hendrickson couldn't save it. Like it's yeah. so bad. Um, and that's just because it's a bad movie. Like, yeah. It's just not. It's just not good in any facet. Right. Um, that being said, like I said, people will argue with me on that. But that's kind of the whole point of this: is to take a look at a movie and just give it some fresh eyes. Uh, tonight we're talking about a little movie called The Island of Doctor Moreau. The Island of Doctor Moreau uh, from 1996, starring <laughs> Marlon Brando and uh, Val Kilmer. And this movie, I'm sure those people that are listening to us will go, oh, I actually like that movie. Every movie has its fans, but. Sure. But pretty universally, this movie has just been lambasted as being a, a train wreck, being absolutely terrible. And we figure 22 years now removed from its release. Let's take a look. Let's look at it with some fresh eyes and see if it's actually as bad as let's, people claim that it let's is. Let's put this baby under the microscope. Let's do it. You know, that's very uh, it's scientific of us. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, Dr. Moreau himself was doing. So... Why not? Call us cinema scientists. <clears throat> you could call. You could call Cinematist. us. Cinematists. Cinematists. Yep. Not not cinnamon tits. That's a stripper. Cinnamon <laughs> <laughs> tits. Hey, cinnamon tits. That's what, that's what I'm calling my wife from now on. <laughs> hey, cinnamon tits. She will promptly punch me in the face. 
I, I don't know why, but you sounded like the classic rock. Yo, Adrian. So it is. It is. He talks I was to going, Yo, yo, cinnamon toots. I did it. <laughs> I was going for more of a Andrew Dice Clay kind of thing. Yeah, uh, that guy. That guy shouldn't be in movies, by the way. Andrew Dice Clay, probably, oh, not. Have probably you ever, not. Have you ever seen Brain Smasher? No. Oh, dude. Never heard of it. Just the worst. I mean, I, I I like it because I watched it when I was a kid with my cousin. We built a fort and we watched Brain Smasher, mm-hmm. but it's like the worst movie in the world, and he's the worst person in the world. So <laughs> fair enough. Um, all right, but, but before we get into that, uh, how was your guys' week? Anything uh, anything exciting happen? Uh, anything anything special? Did you did you save the ki- a kitten off of a railroad tracks? No. Did you? Give CPR to a seal. No. Did you keep going? Because I can't remember uh, what I did this week. Did you? Did you pet a raven? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it would be cool. But no. I, I, did you do anything this week? No. Uh, it's, Jay, you did, did the old classic uh, uh, Red Wings game. Not to the game, but they do. It was an away game last night. They do the uh, uh, screening viewing parties at uh, <clears throat> Motor City Soundboard, their concert theater at the casino. Oh, there. I've never been to Soundboard. Uh, is that a nice it, venue? Yeah, actually, yeah, the venue was really sweet. And they, what do they just, they project it on the screen up they, behind they or have, They have a huge screen that takes up the entire stage. Oh, that's cool. And uh, so they project it there. Every time they score, all these flashing red and white lights for the Red Wings go on. And, and then, like, people run out on stage and toss T-shirts out into the crowd. And they got free pizza and chili dogs and dollar beers and um, free pop. Dollar beers. See, that's nice. Because if you go to LCA, you're paying, what, $11 for a beer or whatever? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably, right. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, we lost... Uh, we did, yes. <laughs> yeah. In, uh, uh, the wings, the wings suck this year. It really. Sucks. We're, so, uh, well, we're they, in the two goals. process. Yeah. What'd you say? They had uh, they had two goals scored against them in the first minute of the game. Oh jeez. Oh, then, was uh, it Marshawn? I I don't remember. I think and, he had uh, a hat trick yeah, last yeah, yeah, night. Yeah. That little bastard. And uh, and then they ended up tying it up. And they, they played a good game. Yeah. Overall, afterwards. Well, that's cool. That sounds like fun. Yeah, I, it was I, a good time. I actually didn't know that they did that at Soundboard. That's cool. Never been so. What about you, Michael? Uh, nope. Just been just been working a ton. We're in the busy season at work. Something, oh. something about like Jesus coming back from the dead or something. I don't know. So so yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> just, just working them fr- fish fries. That's it. That's now it. how's the fish at the fish fries? Yeah, it's terrible this year. Is it really? Well, our Fred, our our, our Fred, oh. our chef died. So you now can call him our Fred. Our it's, Fred. Yeah. Uh, our chef died last year, so um, now we're having it catered in. Yeah. The fish, it just kind of like tastes like sand. Like it's it's like, gross. How dare it taste like it came from the ocean? <laughs> yeah, right. No, they this company that we're using just got like like we used to get the good stuff, which is probably why we never made money on it. And this new company is just using like the cheapest fucking like like triangle fish tails you can possibly find. Like they're gross. They're Band of camps. Yeah. Anyway, uh, enough about our boring lives. Uh, let's make fun of ourselves and cool. talk about some stupid shit. All right. Stupid. You're so stupid! Speaking of being stupid, uh, you said that John Travolta was in the post last week. John Travolta is not in the post. Uh, it is Mr. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Did I really say you did. John Travolta? You did. Hey! Oh. <laughs> hey, life is uh, like a box of chocolates. <laughs> we gotta get this story out. <laughs> okay. I may not be a smart man. I can't do it. <laughs> what? That's... That... You just said Forrest Gump is John Travolta doing Forrest Gump. Yeah. That's <laughs> the point. Yeah, I know. It's just. Oh, uh... well, thank you for knowing what it was. All right. Also, you're stupid because Ty West had absolutely no part in Tales of Halloween. I actually didn't know either. I thought for some reason that maybe he did, which is why I didn't correct you right away. You know, but, I, um, I think I was confusing him with Neil, uh, Neil Marshall. Maybe. Probably. Because he definitely did. 
But um, one of the things that I want to clarify, uh, only because I don't want it to start rumors or whatever. We talked about Joss Whedon a lot last week yeah. and his extramarital affairs and mm-hmm. whatnot. And uh, I just want to make sure that we had that correct because I don't want people listening and, you know, uh, so Joss Whedon's ex-wife came out with a letter a while back that basically spelled out all of his um, indiscretions, indiscretions mm-hmm. uh, and how for years and years and years he was like nerd royalty feminist, you know, warrior. Sure. And um, it basically it's all about how as far back as while he was making the Buffy TV show is when he had his first affair. Mm-hmm. And he had multiple affairs over the course of the next 15 years. And it got to the point where he was willingly living this dual life, basically making basically saying you have all of this power and people expect you not to do anything with it, but it's hard to because you have all these people at your feet. And he basically was just making excuses for being a shitbag. Sure. Yeah. And um, that's pretty much what it was. And he was using his marriage as sort of like a, a, a base for all these feminists. He's like, look at me. I have a great wife and this and that. And like, he was basically <clears> using <throat> her as a like a social shield against all so, of this other shit. So where's the clarification here? Because this is kind of... I mean, we, we, didn't, we didn't know the we details, didn't, Yeah, because but... we didn't know what exactly it was. And okay. I, just wanted, I just wanted to clarify. That's sure. all. That, that It's not necessarily a correction. It's just a clarification. You really think our show is going to start rumors, Mike? What if it did? <laughs> what if it did? What if it got back to Joss? <sighs> oh, no. Um. Anyway, that's, that that's, was, that's, that's all that was. That's yeah. all? Okay. Well, this week, as we already told you, we're talking about the island of Dr. Mm-hmm. Moreau. We are. Um, and Mike went out and found a beer, but he told me I couldn't look at it first. So before you before you look at it, before you look at it, this is a throwback beer because we have a lot of history with this beer, and it works for multiple levels for this show. <laughs> oh, Lord <laughs> have mercy. Oh, my gosh, Mike. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Mike brought us each a silo of Milwaukee's best premium, otherwise known as, uh, co- colloquially known as uh, the Beast. Beast. So, so it works for this because this movie is all about the Beast. Wait, hold no, on. Also known as Mike had a slow week at work, <laughs> <laughs> and so how can we do this cheaply? No, I'm just all right, hold on. Listen, um, listen. Wait, listen to me. Unleash the Beast. Oh, oh, that's a good one. That's a new intro. That's uh, nice. So this is why it works. So not only mm. is it called the Beast. However, yeah. uh, we once drank a bar out of Beast. We did. We we <laughs> the we, old uh, rusty the rusty nail. Rusty nail. <laughs> we literally there was a group of like what ten of us maybe, and they had like dollar cans of Beast, yep. and we literally drank them out of beer. Yeah, they had. To, um, this beer we've always said was terrible though. We knew it. So now, with fresh taste buds... Oh, hey, I see what you're doing. I want to retaste the Beast. Is like it really it. as bad as we remember it? I like it. Um, so, when so I, there you go. It works on two different levels this week. When I first joined uh, the band, oh. I, I, uh, at the time you guys were called... Um, the After All. The After All. And then shortly after that, we got rid of that terrible name and we no actually when no no when you joined we were called the glass in the ocean oh the glass in the ocean yeah yep we changed our names to uh our name to time enough at last which... i changed my name to tim yeah <laughs> <laughs> which time enough at last is still one of my favorite band names ever um but uh i i showed up and uh i'm i'm an anheuser-busch drinker i mean aside from like craft beer and stuff like that because i uh-huh. do enjoy craft beer but i'm an anheuser-busch drinker because my dad uh, has a distributor. Your, your dad is 
Anheuser. He Bush. is Anheuser Busch. But ever since the Imbev takeout or buyout, he's, he's Anheuser. Your mom's, mom's the Bush. Bush. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna go there and you beat me to it. You guys are assholes. <laughs> ever since the Imbev uh, buyout, though, is uh, my dad's got like a really nice selection of decent, like really good beers. You yeah. know, so I don't just have to drink Bud Light anymore to. <laughs> To uh, stay well, stay in the family. We also, for some <clears throat> some strange reason, whenever we'd have practice, it was somebody's job to bring a case of Beast Ice, and I don't know why that was our beer of choice back then. <laughs> Not even regular Beast; it was Beast Ice. Because we were twenty one, twenty two, <laughs> and it was cheap. <laughs> yeah. For three silos, it was less than four dollars. Yes. See, I like that. I'm trying to find a. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm just gonna read this thing uh, right here. Synopsis on the beer. <laughs> yeah. uh, Milwaukee's best is a 4.8. This is actually off of Wikipedia. <laughs> Milwaukee's best is a 4.8% uh, alcohol by volume American style pill lager brewed by Miller. Built by <laughs> brewed by Miller Brewing Company of Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin. That's Algonquin for the good land. Oh by my the god! Way. I actually never realized that Miller had a coordination with Milwaukee. I don't think I ever realized that. Mm. I don't think I knew that they were based in Milwaukee though. Are they? No. Uh, Yes. Miller Brewing Company of Milwaukee, yeah, Wisconsin. In the, United, in the United States, by the way. Uh, its sibling beers are Milwaukee's Best Ice and Milwaukee's Best Light. It is sometimes referred to as The Beast. Beast. All right. Yes. All right, well, let's, uh, yeah. Uh, cheers to, uh, to evil. See you on the other side, boys. Just as wow. good as I remember. Wow, it. he's really going for it. <laughs> I'm telling your dad. The beast! <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what? I just unleashed it. Listen. Ooh. I will still say that Miller Miller Lite is worse than this. Oh yeah, for sure. Or, <laughs> MGD, though, is bottom of the barrel. I'm M sure there's people that like is MGD. Terrible. MGD, though, is like... It's like the shit that you get on the bottom of a of a beer keg, you know? Yeah. And then just dilute it with water. That's what MGD and is. Then it's just it, disgusting. And then run it through dirty lines. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's, this is not that's MGD. As, this is not the worst beer I've ever had. It it's is really nowhere not. near as flavorful and good as most of the beers we drink. It's a decent it's a, it's a decent utility beer. Uh it's it's not like it's got a weird aftertaste to me. It's a little bit bitter. Yeah. It's got like a little bit of a bittery aftertaste. There's no real craft. <laughs> but all in, in all making it. Not bad, and a good, a, a fine choice for this week, Mike. This, this I, tastes I like one of those beers where you could, you, you sip it, and you're like, man, I could put like 12 of these back. And then you get through like one, and you're like, <laughs> I don't, like it's that flavor, because it brings you back to that era of your oh. life where you're like, yeah! I thought you meant you could have one and be like, I'm going to put the other 12 back. <laughs> <laughs> you give, it, give it another sip real quick. Are you? Do you get? Am I the only one that's getting like almost a sweetness on the back of my tongue? There's like a hint of like sweetness to it. Am I the only one? I think that's the leftover I, jizz on your tongue. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Beat me to it. <laughs> what are you gonna say? I was blowing one of those Canadian maple trees. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, that's what we're drinking. God bless, <laughs> and that's what we're talking about tonight. So, let's get into the bleed feed. Right, uh, big big week for genre films. Uh, if you are living under a rock, uh, we had the Oscars on Sunday, and uh, the what? The the Oscars. 
the grouchy mm. grouchy people. Yeah. They talk <laughs> about movies. Oh, from the street. From the streets. Okay. Oscar from the streets. <laughs> uh, so the Oscars were on Sunday, and uh, a lot of people, you know, it was nice that a lot of these genre flicks got recognition to begin with uh, in being nominated. Yeah. And I don't think that a lot of people thought that these genre flicks were going to take home near as much as they did. Uh, the genre flicks cleaned up this year. But we knew, right? We did, right? We, knew. we did. Yeah. Um, so not only you have The Shape of Water getting best picture, best director, best original score, and best production design. Took home four Oscars. Crazy. Good on good on Guillermo del Toro. Did you go it home? Is about time. Did you go home and watch it? I, I'm, I haven't yet. I haven't had time to, in oh, fairness. I, I haven't had time to. I've been working like crazy. But uh, good on him. You know, it's about time oh, dude, that yeah. he gets recognized. Because I, I, I will, I honestly will think that he is a, He's a genius filmmaker. He yeah, really is. His absolutely. his style and his storytelling uh, 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 they're second to none. Mm -hmm. He should have gotten an Oscar for Pan's Labyrinth, in my personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, but again, it was overlooked. I don't even think that it was. Was it not even nominated? I don't believe so. That could be a correction. I don't believe so though. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was so happy to see him up there, and he's such a humble dude. Like, yeah. Whenever he talks, uh, he's such a. I don't know, just such a good dude. Like, how could yeah. you not want to give him this award? Uh, Get Out nabbed Oscar for best adapted or best original screenplay. Yeah, uh, rightfully fucking so. Absolutely. Um, and then you also have uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which not horror, but it's definitely genre sci fi. Sure, play, yeah. Nabbed best visual effects and best cinematography, rightfully so. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think you could ask for anything better. No man. A couple so, acting yeah. ones they were up for that they didn't get, but quite frankly, I can never remember his name. The guy from Get Out, um, uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, I loved him in Get Out. Do I think that his performance was better than than um, Gary, Oldman? Gary Oldman? No, 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 I, not at all. No, I think I, I think uh, yeah, he was awesome in in Get Out. Yeah, but uh, that was that was a tough group of dudes to go up against. Absolutely, and, and Gary Oldman. I mean, come on, like these movies won for everything they should have. I haven't for. seen Darkest Hour yet, but I really want to. Like, it, it looks like the type of movie where I, we describe it's movies. Oscar bait. It really yeah, is. Well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> we describe movies like this pretty often. It's like, um, it's the type of movie where, like, uh, the the cinematography, as far as that goes, it's the type of movie where you could take a frame from any any section of the movie and, and, and print it out and yep. put it up on the wall as art. It just looked like a beautiful movie. Yep. And Gary Oldman looked like he just <coughs> absolutely slayed it, you know? So oh, sure. I'm looking forward to seeing that movie. As am I. I think I'm going to hit up the uh, the theater this week now that I have an empty house and just kind of go see all these movies with my move pass. With my move pass. Uh, speaking of the Oscars, fuck the Oscars. <laughs> uh, why? Did you notice what was missing in the, uh, in the program? Mm. No. More specifically, in the in memorandum part of the Oscars. Memoriam, you mean? Memoriam. <laughs> memorandum. <laughs> uh, no. What? Uh, no Toby Hooper. In oh, the man. In the memoriam. Wow. Yep. I didn't even notice that. And, and, and here's the most blasphemous part. I read this on uh, Bloody Disgusting, had an, had an editorial, and I wouldn't have even noticed it, quite frankly, which shame on me but if they wouldn't have pointed well, it out. You're seeing, like, you're seeing like 70 people all in rapid fire. True. You know? They... You know, they, they put together these video packages celebrating 90 years of the Oscars. And mm -hmm. one of the movies that was in the video package was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. So they honor him by putting him in in that. But they don't give him a, a memoriam? Like, like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's messed up. I mean, they had George Romero in there, rightfully so. If they wouldn't have had Romero in there, I think there would have been riots, quite <laughs> frankly. But um, 
But yeah, that's that's a bit of a that's <clears throat> the biggest Oscar snub, if you ask me, is well, is not giving someone their due. Well, he's a legendary genre uh, director, and, yeah. and uh, Poltergeist. And Everybody have... loves Poltergeist. Like <laughs> even <laughs> even people outside the genre know what fucking Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre are. Right, and and not to not to downplay the work of uh, of some of the other people in the in memoriam section, but they have like they've got like um uh like. Uh, like second unit directors and stuff in there, you know what I mean? There's like, like pe- secretaries in like there. People, <laughs> like people who are so far behind the scenes that you really don't know sure. who they are. And it's they like, rightfully should be there because they oh, worked in the industry, but abso- so should these guys. Absolutely. Like, like, I don't understand why Toby Hooper wasn't there. It's like, oh, well, you guys get all these nominations. You're, you're going to overrun our Oscars? Well, you're not going to overrun our dead guys. <laughs> like, like, come on, man. Ah, I don't know. Oh boy. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get into some news that will restore your faith in humanity. Okay. Uh, Devin Sawa is back uh, in a new movie. <laughs> That's supposed to re- <laughs> renew my faith. Oh, it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> Devin Sawa is back, uh, starring in this new movie called Moose, uh, alongside star John Travolta. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is about uh, Devin Sawa. Oh, you mean the guy from The Post? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, Devin Sawa plays a um, big action uh, action star, and John Travolta is like his biggest fan. And it gets yeah, really weird, but yep. it gets really creepy to where John Travolta is literally ruining Devin Sawa's life by stalking him and everything else. Um, this sounds this this sounds like John Travolta's uh, just life story. It could be. It could very now, well. Do be. you mean John he's, Travolta or Tom Hanks? <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not getting away from it. <laughs> <laughs> um, to make this even better, uh, it sounds this sounds weird, but I, I'm pretty sure that the director actually has a pretty good vision for it, and it could be something. Um, it could be something pretty pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Might break a lot of stuff making it, but the um, you mean like Limp Bizkit? Uh, it is directed by Fred Durst. <laughs> No. I'm not kidding you. No. I'm not kidding no, you. No, it is not. It Are is. you serious? It is. And it was written by Fred Durst and somebody else, basically about a real life experience that Fred Durst went through. Oh my God. <laughs> it, <laughs> what? Have faith. No. Just have, I just won't. have some faith. I'm sorry. I'm not, I, I won't. I have to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> I am so into this. I will see this. I will see this opening day in the cardboard box that it will open in. That is, uh, that's something. Yep. Yep. That is the news about that. That is coming. That is Uh, a thing that exists in this world. Can I rewind real quick just to avoid a correction for next week? Uh, Pan's Labyrinth was nominated for Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, and Best Makeup. And did it win for any? Um, I don't see. Let me. I'll. I'll find that. Okay. All right. I just wanted to. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um. Did you see the trailer that? Oh. uh, Yes. It won all three of those. Oh, good. (laughs) And it was also nominated for best original score, best original screenplay, and best foreign language film. Okay. Well, I. I take it back. Apparently, he's (laughs) been recognized before. Uh, that movie should have won Best Picture, in my opinion. Though that movie's one of the my, my, one of my favorite movies ever made, because it's amazing. Um, okay, uh, Netflix <clears throat> dropped a trailer for its new Lost in Space <clears throat> series. Yeah. Did you see this trailer? I didn't. No. It looks amazing. Really? Oh my god, dude! Like I didn't know what to expect from it. I I never watched Lost in Space, the the, the TV series. I did see the really awesome '90s movie though. Uh, <laughs> Was that the one with? Uh, um. What the hell's his name? Yes. Uh, pff, why can't I think of his name? 
Do you have his name? No. Just say it so <laughs> no, that it's not I my, don't know it. Uh, I keep thinking that you're thinking of Tim Allen, but that was Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. That's the one I was thinking <laughs> oh, of. Oh, okay. So, okay, so I don't know anything about the Lost in Space remake. It was, it was just a bad, it was just a bad made, you know, movie based on the old TV series. The, you know, popcorn, popcorn adventure movie. It wasn't terrible by any stretch, but it wasn't great either. Oh, you saw it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you still don't know who was in it? Yeah, it was a long time ago. Right. Very long time ago. Uh, the new series, though, it looks like J.J. Abrams' Star Trek universe had a baby with Stranger Things. Oh. It looks really, really good. Okay. Uh, it looks like super clean and like really spacey, and I don't know, it just looks really, really good. Um, so uh, pretty uh, excited about that. Gary Oldman, by the way, was the lead. Oh, in Lost in, in Space. Movie, yeah. Oh no shit. Gary Oldman, William Hurt, Matt LeBlanc, Joey. Dang, Joey, jo Joey wasn't it? You're right. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Okay, I need to rewatch that. Mimi sure Rogers, Heather Graham, Lacey Chabert. I did see this movie. Okay, well yep. there you go. As soon as I saw Lacey Chabert, because I thought she was in the other one. The, oh, like Galaxy the, Quest? The, uh, yeah, Galaxy yeah, Quest, gotcha. but I did see this movie. <clears throat> uh, anyway, the, uh, Netflix is coming out that April 13th. Uh, I will absolutely be watching it because it looks great. So if you're a fan of the old you know, old sci-fi Lost in Space series, I think you're going to find... I think that you'll enjoy this cool. if you like the updated you know, space stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see here. Moving down. So The Grudge... Yes. You know the movie with Sarah Michelle Gellar, which was the which was a remake of the classic Japanese Juan. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the Grudge remake <clears throat> is getting a remake. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! We are Stop. getting a re re reboot okay. of the Grudge. This will be the twelfth movie in the Grudge slash Juan franchise. Um, really? Still, here's the weird thing. It's being made once again by Ghost House Pictures, which mm -hmm. is Sam Raimi's company. They they have retained the rights over all these years, and they're doing their own remake of their own movie, which I find a little bit odd. It's like, come on, did, let's get over this this remake thing, okay? And especially after the flop that Rings was, do we really think that this is a good idea? I didn't see Rings. But it flopped though. Like it was, they didn't do well at all. A lot of movies flopped though. That ended up get, being decent movies. It didn't get any kind of <clears throat> praise though or anything. Everyone right. kind of said it was terrible. Right. Um, maybe we'll do it for one of these episodes one day. Maybe we will. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't. I can't see this being that good of I, that good of an idea. Like you have to have tons of other projects you could do. Why would you do the Grudge remake again? Well. I think I I don't think that the Grudge remake, the one from '99 or whatever the hell it was, actually received a lot of praise. So maybe they they want to go back and it, maybe they have a better idea or something like that. Time. I don't know. Do it right this time. I don't know. I actually I liked it, but I I have bad yeah. taste in movies. I never I I didn't see it because at the time I was very against all those Japanese. You're still don't remakes. don't no, act no, like I, you're not still. I will give them a shot now. Maybe we'll do an episode on Japanese remakes or something like that. That could be fun. But um, well, we should do. I mean, not just Japanese remakes. Like, there's some really amazing like original J horror. Oh sure, too. sure. Oh, I'm totally you into know? that. The so. J horror, I think I'm I'm okay with, especially now. I've gotten over my little hangups that I've had. Yeah. But um, speaking of remakes, uh, we're getting a remake of the movie Fear. Oh, okay. The, uh, the, With, uh, uh, Don, or, uh, Marky Mark. Say hi to your Let mother. me in your house. <laughs> <laughs> Let me in the fucking house. Uh, we're getting a remake of Fear, which, quite frankly, we're entering into that, this period now where everything 90s is going to start getting remade. Yeah. Uh, and with with all these social social implications that this movie has, yeah, it was only a matter of time, and they're remaking this movie from the female perspective. Oh, so it, it kind okay. of fits. 
If you didn't see this one coming, then you're blind. It's going to be a very different movie, probably. Sure, sure. But... Uh, speaking of remakes, the Crow remake, the Crow new Crow movie starring Jason Momoa, yeah, has a release date finally of October 2019. Right on. So that is also coming. I'm guessing I'll be. Uh, so will my wife. <laughs> I'm guessing I'll be in the theaters for that one because she's wow. not going to pass up going to see Jason Momoa I mean, on the big screen. That's fine. I'll, I'm sure I'll be with you. So. I, I like him a lot. I think he's a really cool dude. So Oh yeah. Like, no, just I aside from just aside from his acting career, like he just seems like a really awesome person. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm actually really a lot of people have a problem with him being in it. I'm I have no issue with it whatsoever. No. I think he could be absolutely fine in it. Sure. So yeah. um Oh you nope. I was clearing the old uh the old larynges. <laughs> 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 Uh, on that, uh, let's go to the blues. Juke. Let's go to the. What was that? I, don't know. <laughs> I was trying to do the. I was trying to. I was trying to do the. Uh, did, you ever, did, you ever, did you ever watch Guts on Nickelodeon where he's like, no. Yeah, you also. I was, was going to say Jay, but he's Jay, and ended up coming out Jew. Like so called, Jew. <laughs> he also aggressively gestured at me. You can't. He almost knocked a beer over, saying Jew. All right, uh, so it's, it's Jay and you. All right, it's it's Jew here with your blues, the blues with Jew. The blues with Jew. <laughs> that's, that's the new segment every week. The blues with Jew. This, is, this sounds so bad. Uh, it's only because you just said that. <laughs> now it sounds bad, you son of a bitch. All right, Scream Factory, go figure. They announced a a, a Blu-ray release. I thought they only did uh, laser disc. Yeah, <laughs> laser disc. Uh, Scream Factory announced The Curse of the Cat People from 1944. Very cool. Uh, directed by <clears throat> by uh, Gunther V. Fritsch and Robert Wise. Uh, you might recognize Robert. This was actually his debut. Um, Is there dir- his directorial any debut. Any relation to? No, no relation to Ray Wise. Oh, okay. I actually looked it up because I knew you would ask me that. <clears throat> as far as I can tell, no, uh, no relation. But Robert, they, they might have like banged once. But that's, that's this, uh, <laughs> the Curse of the Cat People from 1944 was his directorial debut. Mm-hmm. He went on to do The Sound of Music, West Side Story, The Andromeda Strain, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, Damn. among many, many others. So he had a, a great career. Um, this is scheduled for a June release. Uh, extras are still in development. It's got the the original artwork, which is which is really cool. I think for a movie like this, you kind of have to go sure, with sure. the original. Um, in case you don't know what the Curse of the Cat People is about, uh, filled with wonderful atmosphere and fine moody fantasy, this continuation of 1942's Cat People follows Oliver Reed, now remarried, living in 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 idyllic Terrytown, New York. Want to try that again? (laughs) Living in idyllic Terrytown, New York, there we go, and the father of six-year-old Amy. When Amy becomes withdrawn and speaks of consorting with a new friend, Oliver worries that she may be under the influence of the spirit of his first wife. Is it just Amy's imagination that has manifested the enigmatic Irina? Or, uh, who long believed herself to be descended from the race of cat people? Sorry, that whole thing was a mess. I don't know (laughs) what's going on. It's this beast. (laughs) I unleashed the beast a little too early. It was very catty. (laughs) So, like I said, uh, um, extras are still in development for for that and everything. Uh, Scream Factory also announced. Yeah, I, I find myself. Uh, I take a drink of this and then I chase it with Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> Scream Factory surprised. Uh, they also announced Alien Predators. 
with a with an exclamation point. So it's more like Alien Predators. I found this movie <clears throat> on big clamshell VHS at my local thrift uh, really? a couple years back. Did and you pick I, it up? I had oh yeah, I had no idea what it was. But mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those movies where it just looks so weird that you, I'm not gonna pass it up for a quarter. <clears throat> so yeah. uh, I have yet to watch it, but. I had never heard. I was. I. I'd never heard anything about this movie until mm-hmm. I actually read the story today. I go, oh my god, this is that movie. I always thought it was probably going to be so terrible, you so I never it watched it. Yeah. You, you. You didn't know anything about it. I didn't it. know anything about it. I you just, just thought like, it was saw cool. the cover. It was, it was an oddity. Like, yeah. yeah. Um. And and I figured that it was it was probably an old uh, old um, tape label. So it's like right. I figured you know I'm just going to add it to my collection because it's it's a you know cool piece to have. Yeah, for sure. Um. So but uh, now I want to watch it because it looks awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, Scream Factory, Alien Predators. Uh, it's also known as The Falling, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it, it's from 1985. It's making its U.S. and Canadian Blu-ray debut. Uh, and that's Alien Predators, not Alien vs. Predator, just in case well, you're it's, confused. It's, it's a predator that's alien. Yes. What, not not like, like the predator. <laughs> that's alien. Or, or the alien that is a predator. I'm confused. <laughs> Uh, it's coming out in uh, the U.S. and Canada on June 19th via Scream Factory. Uh, it's about three American teens on a European holiday who are about to experience their worst nightmare. Uh, they are about to be trapped in a quaint Spanish town infested with a parasitic alien bi- virus that drives the local townspeople insane and turns them into horrible mutants. The three teens must run for their lives, but is there, but is there really anywhere to hide? Yes. Probably. Yes, I'm right. assuming at least for one of them. Just dig a hole, <laughs> jump in it. That's where you hide. So, uh, yeah, that's very a, cool. Yeah, got, I'm gonna. It, it's got some really kind of. Is that what the? Is yeah, that what the clam uh, shell looks like? Uh, no, it's a little bit different, but it's the same logo. It's cool. I like it. It's mm-hmm. it's very. Uh, it it kind of gives me like a. Uh, killer clowns from outer space sort of oh vibe. yeah i can definitely see that but um Absolutely. yeah that's it for blues all right uh one last bit of news here and i'm saving it to the end because speaking of vhs mm-hmm. alamo draft house in uh north carolina is opening a new store called video vortex yeah which is their version of the mom and pop video rental store they're bringing this they're bringing this back from the dead uh in like the best way possible they're gonna have over 75,000 titles on VHS, Laserdisc, and Blu-ray. Wow. Uh, I'm sure DVD's in there, too. I, I was going to say, just listed. skipping over DVD. Yeah, I'm sure it's in there. Fuck that. Um, there are, like, 10-foot <clears throat> by, like, 4-foot tall recreations of VHS box art just around the store. I like that. Every table that you have, there's a full bar and everything else. Every table has a built-in like TV. A, like an alcohol bar? Yes. Yep. Yes. Every table. I'm, in, I'm into that. Every table has a built-in screen that I think you can pop VHS You can into. watch the movies yeah, right on the, site? Yeah. yeah here's the mock-up. Is a, this is a brilliant here's idea. Here's the mock-up. You can see the screens in the TV, in the, oh, yeah. in the tables. Oh, they're cool. like the old school... Um, like tabletop arcade games. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Dude, that's that's uh, cool. It's crazy. There's so much going into this. This, this is Alamo Draft has a love for cinema, past, present, and future, <clears throat> and I, and I love it because right. of they do they do stuff like this. Uh, there will be VCRs and disc players available for rent. You can get uh, growlers, uh, canned growlers to take home any of the forty plus local draft beers along with your free movies. Free movies, James. This is a great idea. <laughs> uh, there's like release parties. There's like tons of like Mondo board games. There's uh, uh, video store themed cocktails and milkshakes. There's uh, like there's gonna be conventions there. There's giant replicas, like I said, of those VHS clamshells. There's 
uh, yeah, at table VCRs, allowing folks to grab a movie off the shelf and enjoy in the bar. Like it's amazing. I don't know. It's just the the, the greatest <clears throat> slumber party packs. You get a combo pack of pizza, yeah! growlers, and movies yes. to go home with. Like, I want my birthday to be there. <laughs> it's so good. So uh, if you live see, in... See, this is, this is like, because obviously Black, Blockbuster's dead. Family video, I don't know how they're still alive. I don't um, either, quite frankly. But the idea of video rental is nobody wants to do it anymore because you can get everything on, you know, you can buy it on iTunes or you can get it on Netflix or whatever. Mm-hmm. The game changer is the fact that you can watch it right there on site. Yep, I agree. And drink while you're doing it. I completely That's agree. That's a great idea. Um, so there's no there's no date as to when it's opening, uh, but it, uh, the, the first event is scheduled for October 27th. I don't think there's no actual open date yet, though. Um, but you can go online, though, uh, and check out a virtual tour of it uh pretty pretty fucking cool so if you live yeah, in awesome. uh Raleigh, uh north carolina Raleigh, Raleigh. sorry north carolina i guess it's is it R- Raleigh or raleigh i think it's raleigh it's really raleigh really raleigh okay <laughs> <clears throat> uh that's it that is your news for this march 7th boom that was the news okay well uh so that's that's that we're gonna take us <laughs> we're gonna take a short break and when we come back we'll uh We'll travel to the island of Dr. Moreau. It's so hot in here. Throughout this dulce, faces ripped apart with hooks. A man slashing himself into a bloody pulp. And graphic, macabre, torturous images that defy description. DJ Dribbles in the house. Uh-oh. What is that? Is that a didgeridoo? <laughs> Who brought the didgeridoo? The didgeridoo. That's the didgeridoo, James. That's the didgeridoo. That's the didgeridoo. <laughs> That's the didgeridoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, the island of Dr. Moreau, yeah. 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of those movies that um, anybody who remembers it from back in the day probably doesn't remember it too fondly uh now that that's not to say that this is like the most universally hated movie ever this movie does have its its protectors if you will sure that being said it's pretty universally known to be not a great movie and just a hot mess of cinema in general um, <laughs> hot mess of cinema. So I think what we're gonna hot do is cinnamon, <laughs> cinnamon tits. Hey, cinnamon Mike's friend. <laughs> yeah, spicy. Um, so I think what we're gonna do is we're going to break this up into two sections. We're gonna first talk about the movie as it stands, what mm-hmm. you see on screen. None of the none of the backstory, none of the why it is the way it is. Just right. what you got. Right. And then the second half of this, I think we're gonna go. Um, there was a, a really fantastic documentary that was made uh, pretty recently in the last couple of years mm-hmm. uh, called Lost Souls, uh, or Lost Soul, and it's all about the making of this movie and what exactly went wrong. Yep. And it just and it's a fascinating documentary, but it's, it really gives you some insight. More specifically, it's called uh, Lost Soul: The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. Yes. Richard Stanley being the original director yes. of the movie. So, But before we get into that, though, let's talk <clears throat> about the movie as it stands as to what you can actually watch on a screen. If you knew nothing about this movie, what you're going to see. Right. Let's talk about the 
the uh, John Frankenheimer yes. version. So, so yes, so so John Frankenheimer. I uh, w- like we just said, Richard Stanley was the original director, and some of the scenes in the movie were still, I believe, Richard Stanley's scenes. Oh, really? He he did have a couple of days of shooting, so mm-hmm. it's not totally John Frankenheimer, but most of it is. Um, so John Frankenheimer came in. Uh, he is the director of uh, such movies as the original Manchurian Candidate, uh, Ronin with uh, Bob De Niro, yep. uh, and Reindeer Games, the best Affleck movie ever. <laughs> oh, he directed Reindeer Games? <laughs> yes, we were just did. talking about it last night. Yes, we were. Um, so anyway, so he's... he's He's had a, he has a, had a massive massive career though, mm-hmm. and he's one of those guys that knows how to make a movie. He knows how to wrangle uh, the actors. He knows how to, to basically get a production done. He's also one of those old timey directors that yells. Yeah, and you'll hear more about that a little bit later. But uh, he's very old school in in his approach, which is a little bit shocking to see his name on a movie like the island of dr moreau mm-hmm. yeah it seems a little bit out of his wheelhouse a little bit a little bit odd i think if it i think if marlon brando and val kilmer weren't in it i don't even know if he would have signed on honestly oh, I, yeah no he you know we're getting ahead of ourselves already right but sure yeah <clears throat> he says as much though in the documentary or, or, or they talked part, about but, yeah. it yeah but um anyway so yeah uh, marlon brando stars as the the titular dr moreau Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Val Kilmer who plays Montgomery, uh, David Thewis who plays Edward Douglas. Now those are the three main uh, main characters in the film right. for the most part. You also have Feruza Balk who plays the Cat Lady Isa, uh, and then there's other people like a uh, one Ron Perlman who Ooh. plays the uh, Sayer of the Law. Which is interesting because when you when you hear about this movie, you don't and, and even in the documentary, I don't think that they even. I think they rent. They mentioned him once by name and just by his last name. I think somebody says, "Oh, blah blah blah." Yeah. I'm Perlman. Well, and and he probably distances himself. I'm, from I'm guessing probably. <laughs> even though, I mean, you look at the makeup and stuff. It's it's no different than me, him being in the Hellboy costume. That's true. That's Although true. you know, obviously, Hellboy is a much better movie. All right. So if you've never <clears> seen <throat> it, the synopsis: uh, After being rescued and brought to an island, a man discovers that its inhabitants are experimental animals being turned into strange-looking humans. All the work of a visionary doctor. Uh, uh, and, uh, and in case you're not uh, <clears throat> uh, familiar with the the history, it, it's based off of an H.G. Wells novel. There's also a film, I believe, in 1977. There was two other adaptations before this. I think one in uh, one in the 60s, one in the 70s. I yeah, want to say. Yeah. So this is the story's been done a couple times. Right. And uh, this movie was supposed to be this new new vision for for the story. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Richard Stanley had um, he had loved the story from the time he was a boy, mm-hmm. and uh, always wanted to make this movie, and that was. You know, Richard Stanley uh, made he made a couple of movies called uh, Hardware and Dust Devil, I believe it was called, which are both highly regarded. Yeah, I've seen parts of Hardware, not the whole thing. I've seen parts of it. His style is absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible. Uh, and I think that he would have been a good fit for this had it gone his way. Right. But that's not what we got. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John Frankenheimer is he's a very straightforward filmmaker. So he's going he he you know he rewrote the story. To where it made sense to him, mm-hmm. and he shot a movie. Right. And uh, this movie, like I said, we, it's it's kind of panned as being this terrible train wreck of a movie. And on one hand, it is. <laughs> um, but if you don't know any of the story behind the making of this film, it seems intentionally batshit crazy. And in that, I feel like it succeeds. Yeah. You know, you when you watch this movie, it doesn't it doesn't come off like it had all this turmoil, like it had all the 
it doesn't come off that way. It actually comes off as though this movie was batshit crazy from the start, and that's the movie they made. I mean, it's a batshit crazy story. It's about it a, a crazy scientist who's turning people into animals and animals mm-hmm. into people, whatever. Yeah, but, it's it's a crazy story. Yeah. <clears throat> and so by rights, what you get is a crazy movie, but on its uh, standing on its own legs. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll go into detail as to why, but I actually like this movie. I do too. I uh, <laughs> I don't think that I think that twenty two years removed from its release, mm-hmm. you can look back at this movie, and I think that is you know mm-hmm. is it a perfect movie? No, by no. by no stretch of the imagination. But it's it's fun, and, and and it's it's and there's there's enough redeeming qualities to it, uh, like singular redeeming qualities that yeah. uh, that kind of help it out as a whole to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the makeup is amazing. Um, the makeup is fantastic. The make uh, Stan Winston. Yeah, how how can you go wrong with with the Stan Winston creature effect movie? Right. You know, and this was done back in the days of, like like 1996. That was like um, when Jurassic Park come out. 93. 93. I okay, so it's a couple couple years removed after stuff like that. Right. Um but yeah, like, this is like early 90s effects. Like it's not it's it's not like, you know, I don't know. It it's not what you would expect. It's way better than what you would expect from a 90s creature movie, you right. know. A lot of times they have a tendency to look kind of kind of weird and wonky and, you know, whatever. It doesn't. These the Stan Winston's effects for uh the the practical effects for this movie they look gritty and they look dark and they they don't look like cartoony like you might expect them to right, look. The animals, they look very realistic. Yeah, the animals don't look like like you said they're not they're not caricatures of animals. Like these look like actual if you took an animal and yeah. and, and humanized it. It's it's, it's extremely it, effective in its realism. Yeah. Like they're yeah, they're they're not what you're used to seeing cuz these are made up creatures, right. but they do a good job of looking like they could absolutely belong and live on this island in the real world, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, do you guys remember watching this when it first came out? I do, I yeah. do. And I, I think back then, like, we couldn't appreciate then, is, I mean, what, we were, what, 11, uh, 96 or something? 11, right? I was 11. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah 11 years old, so we mm-hmm. wouldn't appreciate it as much, the effects and the makeup and all that at them, because, you know, at the time, that was kind of standardish. But right. we look at where it compares to now, you know, after rewatching it, and in our older age, we can go back and say, wow, that was really cool how they did this, or, yeah. you yeah. know. I well, that... Yeah, like, I mean, none of us knew who Stan Winston was. Sure. None of us really cared about special effects makeup or anything like that. But, but even but even back in the day though, people who were older than us though, like you heard in the beginning of the uh, beginning of the episode, uh, I was a clip that I took from uh, Siskel and Ebert at the movies. Yeah. And Robert e- Ebert just hate Roger Ebert just absolutely hated this uh-huh. movie. Like he just lambasted. Siskel had he didn't give it a glowing review, but he didn't hate it as much. But right. but but Ebert tore this movie apart. <clears throat> like he, he thought it was absolutely terrible. He said it was a, a mess. And that's why that's why I said I hate critics. Like I even even prestigious prestigious critics like Siskel and Ebert they're fun to watch I mm-hmm. like watching their reviews on YouTube like all their old reviews of movies and stuff but for the, the movies movies are it, it's subjective you know oh absolutely like I don't I don't like taking one man's opinion or one woman's opinion on on, a, on any given movie because everybody's gonna see something different mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and I think that I, I think in his review he didn't he chose to not focus on anything that really was good about the movie. Sure. I don't you know? think that he quite understood it, though, either. I, and I don't think anybody did back then. A man, pig? What is this? <laughs> well, I, th- I think it's it, fair to say, I mean, those guys, you know, they're, they were, they're, 
they're from an older generation. I'm I'm willing to bet. I don't I don't really know how much they read, but I'm willing to bet that Siskel and Ebert probably were pretty familiar with the H.G. Wells story. Oh, I'm sure. You know what I mean? I'm sure. And if you, I'm I'm about halfway through the audio book right now. But if you if you read the H.G. Wells story, I mean that is also batshit crazy. Yeah. So it's and I think that taking the words from the pages and and uh, and bringing these things to life, I think that they did a pretty good job with it. And you have to remember too that this movie was written by through the vision of a guy that didn't get to make the movie. Right. So what you get, it's a it's 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 weird because. It's a very competent, I think, it's a very competent movie. It's just batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why maybe a lot of people were put off by it because it was a juxtaposition. Like, it was it was, it was this really straightforward, uh, like, genre thriller, if you will. Yeah. You know, and, but yeah, it, yeah it's, it's, it's subject matter is so almost unaccessible to a lot of people. Like they can't wrap their head around what you're, they're seeing, even though the movie's very well made. I think they're um, I think they're blinded by the fact you know you have two of the uh, two of the biggest actors mm-hmm. uh, in in Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer in this movie and people are used to seeing them in these like huge like blockbuster yeah uh, master- Val Kilmer was one of the biggest stars of the time well because of because uh, of Batman mm-hmm. Batman Returns uh, yeah yeah is that the one he was in um yeah so he was he was riding high like he mm-hmm. was pretty much at the the apex of his his, his stardom. Uh, obviously, Marlon Brando is a a superstar. Sure. So, like for for guys With that like pedigree, how could you go wrong? Well, for guys like I mean, you know, Siskel and Ebert. I don't. I, they they would watch genre movies because it was their job. But like like those types of people, or or if you're looking at like the guys who uh, do the nominations for the Academy Awards and stuff, sure. they're always going more toward the you know the the dramatic. And the the stuff that where like cinematography is the main focus sure, and, sure. and writing and stuff like that. So if, sure. like to see these huge huge actors in this like weird like offbeat genre flick, it probably was kind of off putting. Uh, but them. let's but let's keep in mind too though, it wasn't just the critics that panned this movie. It That's was true. everybody. Right. It was the viewers. It was nobody really thought this movie was great. Like I said, there, I'm sure there was a couple. There were there, it did have its, its audience, but like I said, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, this movie was not well received by anyone. How much uh, of their uh, input, or, I mean, of their reviews anyway, do you think were inputted by the original? Or the the seventy seven release. Yeah, that's a good point because the the one in seventy seven is highly regarded as the the best adaptation of the H. G. Wells story. Well, and 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 the story for this movie, as Richard Stanley wrote it, though, was was not that. This right, was it was right. a very different. It was I've a never very seen the seventy seven one. Yeah, it was yeah, a very I haven't either different take on what the story was. It was updated and adapted for present time 1996. Well, and we'll get into that later. Like, yeah. we'll get into it later. But just to say, like, he had. Um, he had an artist, which it, it almost looked like uh, like maybe a, he might have been a comic book artist or something, but he made these really amazing, like, colorful um, recreations of Richard Stanley's uh, visual, uh, uh, his vision, like, as far as what the visuals were going to be for the movie. Mm-hmm. And all those drawings from the documentary, it looked like it would have been just bonkers oh, and, yeah. and awesome. Sure, you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, Frankenheimer though was not going to go that route. No. He was he was going to adapt the script to make it make sense to him. And like I said, what you got was for as crazy as it was, it's a more straightforward flick. Which is such a, um, a and he even like they a, a lot of people from the the cast and the crew say that like like 
it, which is it's kind of a bullshit way to go about filmmaking. It's like you've got like you've got this square peg movie and then you've got Frankenheimer who comes in and he's like, I only know how to make round pegs and I'm just going to jam this thing into well, the well, round space, you know? Well, well, it worked, though. That's the thing, though. He made it work. Yeah. And that's, and that's what we're here to talk but, about, though, but is did what he because, on screen. But did he because the movie's the movie's hated by most people? Well, it was... It was. I think it was. It, it's a misunderstood movie for... I don't know. We'll, we'll, get, into the, we'll get into this part <laughs> I think, after. We'll I think the biggest misunderstanding was was Frankenheimer's understanding of what the material was. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Like, he came in and he's like, this doesn't make any sense to me. So he's like, I'm going to make it make sense to me. And and I guess what I'm trying to say, though, is that he did. Because what you get on screen, take Richard Stanley's yeah. vision out of it. What you see on screen yeah. is competently made. Right. For as all the problems that they had, that movie's, it, movie ended up being competently made. And... It, like I said, it, it holds up better than than I think what people give it credit for. Yeah, we had talked about the um, the practical effects. Uh, there's also some uh, actual computer visual effects in this movie as well. Uh, and for 1996, the 90s were not known for their good computer generated effects. Right. They're not terrible in this movie. Well, They're I really mean, not terrible. Jurassic Park changed the game as far sure. as that went. But nothing but looks as good to, as Jurassic right, Park. I was going to say, you also have to keep that. in mind that Jurassic Park was the biggest movie at the yeah. time with and, the biggest budget. And, and even even the I've watched the making behind the scenes of Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even them don't understand how they got it to look as good as they did. Because mm-hmm. even nothing after that looked as good. Even right. the other like, Jurassic Park movies didn't look as good <laughs> as Jurassic Park. Like mm-hmm. you said, too, even in that, there were a lot of dark scenes. And a lot of that sure. computer stuff could be concealed by the uh, dim light. Sure, yeah, that's, sure. That's, that's, that could, that's a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- there's some parts, though, where the, uh, some of the characters are... Um, there's a cheetah. There's a cheetah man. Uh, that is part of the the, the build-up to the story. And Lo, they sh- Lo Mai. Lo Mai, yeah. And they show him running around the forest, like af- you know, and it's all CG to get the, the, the animal movements in. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look perfect by any stretch, but for 1996... Yeah, it wasn't. I've seen much worse really CG. good. There's, so, there's also some other creatures, smaller creatures, that run around with like, the floor and whatnot. And, like... Oh, the little... Uh, are you talking about the little rats in yeah, the boat? Yeah, yeah. And they're... But even that, like, you, you can tell that what they are, but they're... It's not bad for 1996. Right. It really isn't. I give. I give. There's a lot of other movies that have worse computer graphics mm-hmm. that I think are way shittier than than this by by any account. I mean, by the time they signed on Brando and Val Kilmer for this movie, because they they kept explaining like it it started with um, what a budget of like five million. Yeah. Which for for Richard Stanley that was a, a decent budget. Sure. And then they, uh, we'll get into this later, but they added a couple other actors who had big names, so the budget went up. And then all of a sudden, Brando's on board, so the budget went up. And then all of a sudden, Kilmer's on board, and the budget went through the roof. And went to like 35 mil or 40 I think 40 it was four, mil or, 40 million estimated, like that, yeah. so, yeah. Um, so, so you have this, this, this crazy script or whatever. Um, I thought, when I was watching this, I, forget, I, haven't, like, I hadn't seen this in a long time. The very first reveal... After you get to the island and Val Kilmer is bringing, uh, what's his name, to the island, uh, Edward, uh, to, to the island, the very first reveal that you see of the creatures, I thought was so well done. Mm-hmm. Because it comes out of nowhere. You expect him to kind of walk around the island and explore a little bit before he gets, you know, really into the thick of things. Right. And, and he right away starts seeing things. He's locked into a room and, he st- and then he, he gets out, mm-hmm. starts walking around the island. 
And almost immediately, he starts realizing what is going on. Right. And it goes from hearing things and seeing things to breaking in sort of to this uh, uh, hospital of sorts, if you will, the yeah. lab, the right. lab or whatever. And out of nowhere, it's like you just like everything gets bombarded at once. It's not like you just see one creature and then it festers for all. No, you see like a whole mess of them and you literally get dropped into the thick of things of what's going on on this island. It reminded me of that uh, that reveal kind of because he sees the creature on the table, which is uh, it's in the middle of giving birth. Yeah. And that's kind of the big reveal. And then when all the creatures around the uh the female creature that's giving birth pull their masks down. It reminds me of that old episode of uh, the Twilight Zone, where the uh, all the like all the people in the operating room pull down their masks yep. and they have like those weird pig faces. Yep, yep. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, though, I thought wouldn't that was shock, a, it wouldn't shock well, me if that was like a, a inspired influence. by the yeah. yeah. And I I like that reveal too because like when when they first so he gets rescued in the in the beginning of the movie he's the movie opens with um, Edward. Um, on a, a a life raft, just floating like in the middle of the ocean, they're with two other dudes, and they're obviously not in a good way. And the two other guys are what? Real quick, am I the only one that thought that the dude he was fighting on the raft was Val Kilmer at first? Mm, Guy yes. looked exactly like him. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Looked I guess I didn't. I guess I didn't take notice. I, I was waiting for Val Kilmer to show up, and I thought that was him on the oh. raft. <laughs> like it was just a blonde dude, same build, like, mm. and they're fighting, so he's moving around a lot. I thought it was Val Kilmer, and I'm like, wait a minute, he, why is he on the boat all of a sudden? I was so confused <laughs> and, by it. And why is he dead all of a sudden? <laughs> what the hell? So uh, basically, Edward ends up being the only the only guy left in this life raft, and he gets picked up by this uh, small ship that's going by. And he meets Edward, uh, not Edward, uh, Val Kilmer's character, Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And uh, they get to this island, and originally Montgomery explains to him that I'm this is where I'm stopping. But then he tells him, change of plans, you're coming with me to the island. Yep. We have a radio here, we'll call for help, and they'll come pick you up. And uh, But they're unloading animals off of that ship. And that's what I really liked about that reveal in the, in the kind of hospital room is... Uh, you're hearing the sounds of an animal in pain, uh-huh. groaning. But you think it might just be... And Val right, Kilmer, you, all, he says at one point, I'm more of a vet, veterinarian. Exactly. So you think, okay, there's animals on, obviously, so and you he, think that they're right, and Edward, operating on animals. And, and Edward is like walking through this building, and he's like, uh, he's sneaking past cages that are filled with animals, uh-huh. so you don't really... You don't really know what he's coming up on, but then he gets to those like giant... The tubes, like the, uh-huh. the glass tubes with the specimens inside. Yep, yep. Like in something you'd see in like Alien or something like that, and uh, and then he kind of peers over and he sees this giant like I don't even know what that thing was. It was like it was like a sow, wasn't it? Uh, was it like a pig? Was it like a pig person? No, she she looked more like a like a goat or something. I don't know. But she's giving birth and then all of a sudden he's like, so what she's the on fuck? the she's on the table straight giving him a goatsy. <laughs> pretty pretty accurate pretty, pretty much and uh, uh, and then he sees all these the, things and he takes off into the there's a behind the scenes photo of that scene mm-hmm. that is not in the movie from a different angle and is it let like me tell straight you, up the yes yeah. let me tell you the makeup effects went way too into <laughs> for, for something you weren't going to see on film they went really far into it <laughs> it's disturbing yeah. <laughs> well I'm, I mean have you ever seen an animal like a video of an animal giving birth yeah this was nothing like that <laughs> this was this was nothing like that so but, he um, he sees these freaks and he takes off into the woods he he ends up getting assistance from uh Aisa, who's played by fruza balk mm-hmm. 
and she wants to help him out. Yeah. So she they they run and run and run through the woods. He ends up in this like this weird place. They they come across a a, a guy who looks like he's been um Franklin. Like, What's that? Ben Franklin. <laughs> ben Franklin? Oh, a different, the other kind of Ben. <laughs> and they come up on this guy who is um, like half baboon, maybe? Yes. Like a baboon-man hybrid? Which, I will say this. That that baboon person, mm-hmm. man. Baboon. The baboon. Mm-hmm. Uh, best makeup effects in the entire movie. His, you think so? I do. At the, very, at the very end of the movie, there's a scene when... Uh, Edwards is leaving the island. Mm-hmm. The baboon runs up to him and kind of hugs his leg, oh, yeah. begging him not to leave. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, that baboon man looks like he could be real. Yeah, looks so realistic, so fucking good. <clears throat> well, and, and aside from just the makeup too, they had a they had like an animal expert on set that taught the extras yep. how to move and act like animals, yep. which was really cool. There was not to go, not to jump ahead of ourselves and go to the documentary, but this animal expert. Uh, is in the documentary and he has like this wooden tube that he's uh, doing s- sound effects through, mm-hmm. and he sounds more like oh, yeah. an actual animal than the actual animals do. It's well, incredible. What was the sound he was doing? It was, it was like uh, a, it was like it was it sounded like a like a monkey. Or, it sounded like or he was doing two of them at the same time. Yeah, it was incredible. This guy was crazy talented though with his sounds. There was there was a a, a girl who was in the movie. She was one of the um, I think one of the pig women. Yeah. And I want to I want to come to her uh, when we start talking about the documentary. Make sure that I bring her up because right. I just pig lady. Remember that pig yeah. lady. Just remember <laughs> the pig lady. Uh, anyway, so getting back to uh, what Sorry, was yeah. actually on screen in front of us here, um, I just like I I don't know, man. Like I the the island that they were on, or yeah, I guess it wasn't technically on an island. It was in Cairns, but um, the location that they picked was beautiful. Mm-hmm. The cinematography was actually really nice. Like I thought, it really, really was. And I actually found myself thinking too. I was like, this doesn't look like a. Well, I watched it in 1080p, so it was it was you know better than a <laughs> amateur hour. It was better, obviously, than the original uh, footage. But yeah, um, like I found well, not myself if would, not if you would have seen it in theater. I found myself thinking like this doesn't look like a movie from 1996. Like it actually looked like a newer movie. No, I agree. I watched it. Uh, I watched a newer cut of it as well. And um, I, I actually, that was one of the things that stuck out to me is for for all the the for the problems that this movie went through, you know, having Frankenheimer come in and him bringing his own you know a lot of his own people in or whatever. Uh, he brought his own cinematographer in for sure. Um, I think I, I honestly think that helped the movie because you had. The, the most like pr- one of the most pro dudes mm-hmm. coming in and shooting this cr- crazy movie now yeah. and so you have this this look to the film that probably a film like this shouldn't have it's mm. almost too polished uh not in a bad way but it's really a good looking movie like yeah. it, it's shot very well it it's which is which is one of the reasons i don't fully understand why it was so and it's edited very well too. Yeah. Like, whoever did the editing well, not, of this movie, not according to, well, not according to Roger Ebert. I, I disagree <laughs> with. I disagree with with Roger Ebert. I, I do. E- I, even I, though they're supposed to be like unbiased about things, there could be some politics stuff going on with some of these reviews they give at times. I've always you know? kind of thought that too. They, they could have just guys they don't like in the industry. This, yeah. Oh, this guy edited this movie. I'm going to give him shit. Yeah. Like it's it's extremely possible. Yeah. Um, that being said, though. For as, for much of a mess as this movie was, and we'll, I keep saying we'll get into it later, and I swear we will. Um, the whoever the, the guys that behind the scenes made this movie happen, they did a 
damn good job. Mm. A really, really good job of piecing this movie together to put in front of us on the screen an extremely, I think, a competent, entertaining, and quite frankly decent movie yeah. like it's it, i don't well especially for what they had to work with like sure. this like like this was this was this movie had been chopped to bits even before yeah. frankenheimer was on was on set yeah like it, so much had gone wrong with it and for him to come in and actually be able to throw it back together i mean you had extras who were supposed to be there for six weeks and they ended up being the, uh, being months. there for six months yep. you know what i mean oh i'm like, sure the drugs kept them there <laughs> that was a, that was a fun part in the in yeah. the documentary but i don't like he had you know he had he had lead actors who were saying i can't do this anymore like mm-hmm. this is just taking too long it's too messed up can't do it anymore for his for him to wrangle everybody back in and actually get everybody back on cue and 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 back on the same page and it's not the best movie in the world yeah. but for what he had to work with I th- and I think it turned out all right and on that and on that point you know we we, we keep talking about and mentioning how uh, the actors that are in this movie uh, Val Kilmer uh, not to not to jump ahead but Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando both could not have given less shits about this movie they did not care about it they didn't want to be in it they right. didn't want they made the set of this movie a nightmare <clears throat> and it's funny because if you know the backstories and you know where they're coming from as actors mm-hmm. when you're watching their performances you can pick out certain things that are like oh totally get it the crazy thing about it though in that within the editing and the shooting and whatever for even the batshit crazy stuff that they do mm-hmm. and and the the weird things that 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 they do in this flick if you didn't know about all of that that bad juju yeah. that was going on behind the scenes <laughs> you would think that these actors are just doing a really really good job at playing these absolutely crazy characters I'll, I'll, um, I'll agree with you slightly and disagree with you slightly Brando I think like it's so it's a it's a well-known fact that Marlon Brando didn't memorize his lines for this movie um he had yeah. he had an earpiece in and he had his uh, assi- assistant in his trailer feeding him the lines. Yes. Yep. So, but his he, performance, I, I his performance, he, like I, I actually thought his performance was like really awesome in this movie. Well, I came to find out he actually did that for most of his movies post, um, like Godfather. Like oh, the, did he really? the whole second half of his just career, phoned it in. He just he didn't give a shit about the industry that he excelled in. He just didn't care. Oh yeah. Um, he was. Uh, that being said, but, I, well, hold on. But so I, I agree with you on the on like Brando's performance actually came across really, really well on the, it's on almost, the screen for it's me. Like, but it was like a master but, class in making yourself crazy and being believably crazy. But Val Kilmer, I could, you can see it on the screen the the whole time that he just didn't give a shit. Like his, I don't, I don't. He didn't come across as like crazy to me. He just came across as a as an actor. Who didn't care? I agree. Um, I will say this uh, about both of them: I am not a huge Brando fan at all. Yeah. Now I'm not. All, I'm not a Brando super fan. I haven't seen every single thing that I, you know that he's done. But mm-hmm. like I've seen, 
I have not seen all of Godfather. I know. Castrate me later. <laughs> um, Movies that might make Mike a douche. It is. I will get to him. But I've seen. I have seen though Brando in the Godfather. I've seen his scenes. Clearly, you can't really. You. It's hard to escape that. Yeah, sure. And he's fantastic at it. He really, really is. That that role I think was made for Brando. Mm-hmm. That being said, even his earlier stuff, I'm just not a fan of his style. Mm-hmm. Um, and his later stuff, I I've always heard about stories about how he's the most difficult person in the world yeah. to to work with. Mm-hmm. I've just never been a Brando fan. I've, I've never. I've never really been a fan of what he does as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I do recognize the fact that he is he is talented at his craft, even though I don't like what his craft is. Right. And he made this character that he didn't give a shit about completely believable. Yeah. I, I was completely thinking, I was, believable. I was thinking the same thing because I was I watched the documentary before I rewatched the movie. Yeah. So I had all this knowledge of what probably we probably should. I did the same thing. We probably shouldn't have done. Yeah. That. Whatever. <laughs> I, I well, I had seen I I'd seen this movie before, so I, I watched the documentary first, and even with the knowledge of, because uh, I, I hadn't seen the movie in so long that I couldn't really remember the character that well. Yeah. And so even with all of this knowledge of what a nightmare he was on set, I found myself thinking like, this is, this is such a cool character. And it's and a lot of the things that a, a lot of the things the quirky things about the character that I really liked were changes that he made on the fly. Yeah, like he just like he showed up on his first day of shooting. Now he he actually uh, postponed his part of shooting for like a month because his daughter had Admits, killed herself, yeah. and and they didn't even know if that if he was going to be in the movie. So when he showed up, he kind of was just like not even into yeah. it. And and when he showed up, he didn't read the script. He's like, this whole thing is bullshit. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why am I even doing this movie? And he started making all these little weird changes to the character. He hijacked the movie from Frankenheimer. Ab- absolutely. And nobody, and nobody is going to challenge Brando. Right. Nobody. But, like, some of the quirky <clears throat> things about the character that I... Like, when he first shows up in that, uh, uh, like, the caravan... And and yeah. like all these animals around him, and he's sitting on the on the top of this like military vehicle, in sort of a, um, uh, what the hell would you even call that thing? The Pope Mobile. Yeah, it's like the Pope Mobile. Basically, he's got he's surrounded by sheets and stuff, and they open it up, and he's sitting there, covered like head to toe in white cloth, mm-hmm. and he's got this big weird hat on, and his it's skin like a, like a straw like. Uh, like rice farmers hat. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and his and his face is painted white. Th- these were all things that Brando decided to do. They didn't even do. know he was going to show up like that. They he didn't... just showed up the set like that. Yeah, exactly. Like he just <clears throat> they, like most of the people on set saw him for the first time when that caravan rolled in, mm-hmm. and he was he showed up for 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 the shoot that day at like seven a.m. and didn't and didn't agree to come onto the set until like noon. And he finally rolls up in this caravan. And they pull back these sheets, and he's covered in white paint. Nobody knew he was going to be covered in white paint. And he just, these were all just like, yeah. like little weird, creative, quirky things that he decided to do that nobody knew. And to me, it made the character. Because he explains why sure. he's got the white paint on because he's allergic to the sun. And like, the, the island is so unbearably hot, I can't stand the heat. You yeah. know, like, and uh, to me, yeah, the guy's the guy's nuts. Like he's been shunned by society because he was doing these weird experimentations on animals. The and weird, he the, and he and he was basically exiled to this to this island, and he's lost his mind. The weird, the, the crazy thing about that though is that he's 
these changes that he made to the movie, though, were not for the sake of the movie. They were literally him just fucking with the production and having his own, making his own fun because, he, because didn't he didn't want to be there. He didn't <laughs> right. care. And and because the character, though, is kind of a maniacal, crazy guy himself, mm-hmm. it, it's almost like he wasn't actually acting. Like, he was just this crazy dude was, on the set. Like, he was just Brando being And I think that's why Brando. it worked. Yeah. Like, that's... It wasn't even... It was Brando being, like, mega Brando. Like, it, was, it was him playing dress-up. Like, yeah. he... Like, he's, he's just like, I'm just gonna do this. Like, you guys can do the rest of the movie the way you want to do it. I'm gonna do this, and that's just the way it is. You mentioned his... his how he was always in the, the white robes, whatever. There's another part where he's... He has an allergic... An aller- like, a reaction to the sun. Like, mm-hmm. he can't be out in the sun. And at one point in time, I swear, all he did was cut off... And it's so stupid. It was like he cut off the white sleeve of a white t-shirt and just put it over his head. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like great cornholio looking through the sleeve of a t-shirt. Uh-huh. Like you can almost see the cut lines around his neck. Like, yeah, like that spandex thing it that he wasn't, has. It yeah. almost wasn't even wardrobe. It was just like him just finding something stupid so that he can look as dumb as possible uh-huh. on screen. Um, but it worked. <laughs> I could go on about this forever. I do want to get, get back to Val Kilmer, though. And you're talking about how you didn't like his performance. You could tell that he was just phoning it in. Yeah. And I don't disagree with you, but I've always thought that Val Kilmer, um, because he was also notoriously difficult to work with because his ego was through the roof, he's always had uh, a, a, a side to his acting that I thought was extremely... Uh, egotistical. Pretentious. Like, yes, yes. Yeah. Like, look at him in, in Top Gun. Look at him even in Batman. The way that he delivers lines is like he's well, the greatest top, actor under the sun. In Top Gun, he's supposed to be that way. But I'm wondering, though, how much of that was just his his air, though. His you input. Know? Like, like, yeah. He, yeah. And, and I've always gotten that from him, which is why I've never really cared for Val Kilmer either. Yeah, I've never been super into um, him either. Uh, one of the one of the funny little trivia factoids that I saw on IMDb was that he pissed off John Frankenheimer so much that on on the uh, last day of shooting, like after his last scene, Frankenheimer yelled "cut" and he's like "cut now get that bastard off my set." <laughs> <laughs> yep, sounds about right. Um, okay, so let's let's give it a run up because we're we're going into to the documentary territory a lot here. Uh, for what's on screen, for what we got as this movie, from 1996, The Island of Dr. Moreau, you're going to the theater and you're seeing it for the very first time, not knowing any of the, the garbage that took place behind the scenes, and you're seeing it exactly for what it is. I can safely say, and I can actually say that I would recommend this movie to genre fans. It's yeah. not for everybody, yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. But if you... It, it's For what it is and for what it was written to be, I think that it's exactly as close to being what it was supposed to be as possible. And I, and I think that whatever that product is, mm-hmm. it's not bad. You know, I think it works where it needs to work. It's beautifully shot. We didn't even, we didn't even talk about the sound. The sound oh, in yeah. this movie is, is amazing. Well, that's it's incredible. Nice, that's the nice thing about our second part here being the, uh, the doc documentary yeah. is we're still kind of talking just about the movie sure, and the sure. documentary in unison so we can talk about all that but stuff I'm just saying that, like, but yes you're absolutely as, right the sound was awesome yeah as, as far as this movie being universally panned and, and people saying this movie's you know this absolutely terrible movie from the 90s i full heartedly disagree i i think this movie has merit and i think it stands on its legs i would say i would say that like to to me and my own opinion like us being genre fans and and as horror genre fans we 
we take in a lot of stuff that would probably be universally panned by a lot of other demographics, mm-hmm. but we love it. Sure. There's a lot of movies that we've talked about on this show that we love that would probably just get just sure. lampooned sure. by tons of other people just because they don't understand. Well, and, this, and I and, wouldn't expect somebody, though, who typically watches romantic comedies, though, to like this movie. But within the genre, though, there are genres. Like I said, this was panned by our own genre peeps. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... I, I, to me, I, I, I can't... I, I, I can't speak for for everyone, but I would have to say, just in my own opinion, they were probably speaking based on just the the rumblings, like what was going on. You know, like you had this giant, like this huge, like big budget movie with huge stars in it, and it's this like quirky, weird genre movie. Yeah, and people were probably just. That's not what they expected from these big stars, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, even... I I don't know. I, I, so, somebody walks up to you on the street, and they and uh, there's a poster for The Island of Dr. Moreau, and they go, Oh, I heard that movie's just terrible. God, why would you watch that? What do you say to them? Uh, I would say, watch it, and and then come back and tell me what you think. Like, I... I, I would I would like if I had a couple minutes to talk to him I would talk about the makeup I would talk about the sound I would talk about the cinematography mm-hmm. I would talk about the uh, like the solid acting even if even if uh, even if behind the scenes there was like a lot of turmoil mm-hmm. the it still came across as like really solid acting and really like offbeat characters that were charming in their own way yeah. Like I don't know. I I don't I don't really see why anybody could look at this movie and and just completely write it off as shit. Okay. So the Buzzkill podcast re-review of The Island of Dr. Moreau gets a thumbs up from me. Boom, that was the review. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Uh I I don't know. I that's that's all I have to say. So thumbs up for you though? Thumbs up. Two, yeah, two thumbs absolutely. Up? Yeah. Cool. I and I I you know, um I'm. I would venture to say because you and I, we love everything. Jay loves pretty much everything that we love. Like we're probably going to be hard pressed to do one of these features where we take a movie that's just considered shit by everybody else well, and not say no. This is actually a pretty good movie. This was a little but, bit of a softball because this was a little bit of softball because we had both seen the movie before. Right. In the future, I want to do a movie that none of us have seen. Yeah, that's a good that idea. Is that is we know that it's universally panned. Let's watch it with fresh eyes and see what we actually thought about it. I actually want to. I actually want to. Uh, we should have done this at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the episode. But there was no way of knowing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, rewind to the beginning of this episode and drink every time one of us says "universally panned." <laughs> <laughs> we'll, and, we'll edit that in, <laughs> and you'll have a really good, good, good time. Uh, drink of Milwaukee's best. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, you can only <laughs> drink a silo of beast. That's that's the only stipulation. So okay. it, so anyway, now that we've gotten now let's, that we've now that we've really set the record straight that yeah. the island of Doctor Moreau is not that bad of a movie. Let's rewind back to the beginning. Alright, so this movie was destined to fail from the get. Okay, so Richard Stanley, we've talked about him. No, it's not that bad. Nah, it was destined to fail. It really was. It should this movie by rights should not have even been it, it should not have been even a, uh, 
uh, uh, I can't want to say comprehensive. That's not the right word. Uh, <laughs> competent. <laughs> nice. Thank you. This should not have been a competent movie. Mm -hmm. Like in the end, for all the shit that it went through, it just shouldn't have been. Every odd was stacked against this movie from the get go. Yeah. You have a guy like Richard Stanley who is he's an eccentric character to be. Yeah, he's with. very very. He's a weird, quirky dude. Yeah, very offbeat. Um, not bad. But very weird. No, I actually, I actually... He was really good friends with Feruza Balk, if that tells you anything. Because she's a bit <laughs> fucking crazy, too. Yeah. No, I actually, like, in the documentary, all of, all of his, uh, like, all the footage of him, because they actually got him back, like, oh, to, yeah. do, to do a, a, a main, full interview the for the star, documentary. Yeah. And I liked him. You know, like you said, he's really eccentric, but... but I don't know, I, I kind of, I like, he's, he was, like, super knowledgeable. About you could tell he's he's, sitting, an, he's an intellect for sure. He's sitting in a room. He's sitting in a room like with his probably his own his own personal book collection behind him, and he references books did, nonstop did throughout the throughout by, the uh, documentary. Did you by chance pause your screen and look at the books though that were on the back? Uh, no. Almost, excuse me. Almost all those books, at least the ones that I can make out. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one that caught my eye was a copy of Lords of Chaos. Yeah, that was behind. Oh, me. really? Uh, I saw that, and then that got me to pause it and Lord, look at the Lords other. Of, Lords of Chaos is uh, is about the Norwegian black metal. Yeah, but the, like the yeah, like, like the weird, the, like the like church like, burning. Yeah, like and... real Nor Norwegian black metal yeah. where they used to like kill each other and burn churches and, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's pretty pretty gnarly stuff. But <clears throat> uh, a lot of the other books, though, it's all about. Um, like cults and Satanism and witchcraft, and that, that's what every spine that I could pick out in behind him was all that. And you're gonna say one of the one of my favorite parts of the documentary. I'll let you say because you were about to. <laughs> one of the one of the best parts of the documentary. I thought he was me uh, like I thought he was kidding at he's first. He's not though. He's like uh, he's like um, and uh, of course uh, at this point I decided that the the best thing for me to do was turn toward the dark arts, and I was like he's. No, he's like towards he's, witchcraft specifically. Yeah, to, towards 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 witchcraft, and I was like, he's, I think he's kidding, right? And then he's like, so I took it upon myself to uh, to go to this very um, uh, this very highly regarded shaman who goes by the name of Skip. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I, I still think he's fucking with me because a shaman named Skip. And, and he's like, Skip was uh, well known for many uh, mystic abilities, including his ability to perform what, what one might call fixes. <laughs> and I was like, I think he's serious about he this is. shit. He's absolutely and serious. And so he about had it. this shaman named Skip. Before <laughs> uh, he he began his work, he he gathered many mystic items in order to perform these fixes, and I'm happy to say that uh, the the fixes took hold right away. I'm just like what like the literally, fuck, like dude? literally, he was about to be replaced as director. Yeah, and he went to go see Brando. Oh. oh no, no, well he went to go see Skip, and Skip did his skippity doo dah, whatever it is. Yeah, that he his, does. Mis his mystic dark arts. Um. Mystic skipping. It sounds like a nice romantic comedy. Um, <laughs> the mystic skipping. Uh, and so after though, he had a he had a meeting with Marlon Brando because mm -hmm. Brando was on from 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 the get go, and um, Brando did this weird thing where they had some woman from the studio go with them, mm -hmm. and he kept 
systematically turning up his AC. Mm-hmm. And so the woman eventually fell asleep yeah. because it was so cold in there, which just seems weird to me. Yeah. Um, Mystic Gods. Um, <laughs> the she do- fell asleep. The do- and then gods. the two of them, uh, Richard Stanley and and Brando, had a conversation. And Brando, like, fell in love with the dude. Right. Like this. It was crazy. Like, this woman that was with him was supposed to kind of, like, reel in the whole conversation and sort of keep it on track. This was a New Line Cinema movie. Yeah. And she was supposed to kind of keep everything on track as far as the needs or, or, or the, the wants and the needs of, like, what New Line Cinema wanted now, out of this. And she fell asleep. So then that offered uh, Brando and and Richard Stanley an opportunity to get to know each other and talk about what Richard Stanley's uh, yeah. vision was for. And Brando fell in love with the guy. Sure. And he's like, I'm I'm on board with you. Like I'm behind you 100. percent I think it's very telling too though that uh, with the interview with Bob Shea, the head of New Line, mm-hmm. he talks about how he was not he was not a fan of the decision to work with Brando. He did not want to work with Brando because they had worked with him previous, and he was the biggest pain in the ass was, under the sun. Yeah, notoriously and a, unprofessional a hard, right. and hard to work with, yeah. and and he wanted nothing to do with it. But how do you say no to Brando in your movie? You know, right. so <clears throat> uh, so so they do this or whatever, and I think that it had Richard. You know, you have to keep in mind that Richard Stanley, there's only one of him, and that script was written for a Richard Stanley direction. Mm-hmm. And trying to to have any other way of directing that script would be impossible. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was strictly a unique vision mm-hmm. that that script was was written as. Um, and and he, when Frankenheimer came in, he they rewrote so much. And then I think when Brando came in, because Stanley wasn't there, is probably one of the reasons why he didn't give a shit about it. Right. He just started just fucking with everyone. Yeah. Like just completely started fucking with everyone, which we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um. There's a scene where he's sitting in his like hut or whatever, and he's got this thing on his head, and you don't know what it is at first. <laughs> it's it's like a it's like a metal structure with like a band around it, and you don't really realize what it is until Feruza Valk become comes up behind him, and he says something about how it's so hot, I can't stand the heat, <laughs> and so she takes up a, a, a thing of ice and just pours it. Into what you realize is a empty bucket on top <laughs> of his head, with so like the bottom just, cut out. <laughs> and, and this was a thing that nobody told him to do it. He no. didn't ask. He just did it and added it into the scene right. without telling anybody. Right. And 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 it stuck. There was a. There's and, a the, and then he even he even went so far as to say he wanted to wear that thing on his head the entire time, or he wanted to be wearing some sort of like large uh, head dressing at all times because. His idea was maybe at the end of this movie we should re- reveal that I was half dolphin the entire yes. time. Yes, like he was wearing it. You take what? it off, he's like a dolphin fin on top of his head. Like what the, what the fuck, <laughs> Brando? Um, and there's there's on the part two that uh, Fr- uh, Fruza Balk was. She was like they're they're in between scenes one time, and she goes up to him and she goes, "Oh, Mister Mister Brando, <laughs> I I I'd, I'd really really like to talk to you." Oh oh yes yes yes. What 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 do you want? What do you want? I really want to talk about how our our characters connect and how we can you know this relationship between the characters. And Brando's response is, "Oh no 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 no, nobody cares none about of, this. None movie. of this matters. None of this is going to matter. You, you Nobody's look, going to see this movie. You look you look beautiful, and that's all that matters. Just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Nobody's. I, I, I didn't even read the script. Like <laughs> like literally, he didn't. He knew nothing no. about what what this was supposed to be." 
And he just showed up because they're getting paid. And every single person on this on this movie, mm-hmm. Frankenheimer, Val Kilmer, um, uh, 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 there's another one. Fuck, who was it? Um, oh, was it the? Oh, um... No, it wasn't Bob Shea. There was somebody. There was some one other big, big, big person. Um, that said what? They they basically said the only reason that they took the job was to work with Brando. Oh, Ron, and that is Ron it. Perlman. Yeah, did you Ron, say that already? Yeah, yeah, I I think I did. Yeah. They all they only wanted that was it. The right. only reason anybody took this job was because of they wanted to work with Brando. Right. And like that's crazy to me. That's mm-hmm. absolutely crazy to me. Like he's not even I don't know. Well, you my, gotta, my you, opinion. You, you it's gotta, my opinion. You, like, do have, you do have to imagine, though, like, if, if he's... These guys grew up if, with Brando was God. Yeah, if he's not it, only one it. of your idols, but one of the biggest actors in Hollywood, if you do a picture with him, you're, it's going to be really good That's for your true. career, you That's know? That's true. Well, it's funny. In the actual behind-the-scenes that comes with the movie, mm-hmm. it's, on, it's, uh, it's on YouTube. I don't know if you watched it. Uh, no. It's so funny to watch. Because it's basically, it's like 90% Val Kilmer talking about his experience for like six, seven minutes featurette. Mm-hmm. And he even says right there, he goes, well, the only reason I did the film was was to work with Brando. Uh-huh. And ironically, in the documentary, they talk about how the two fucking hated each other. Absolutely hated. And when Val Kilmer's talking about his experience in this behind-the-scenes featurette for the DVD, you can almost see him, like keeping himself from laughing behind his teeth because mm-hmm. he knows how bad it is. Yeah. There's at one point he goes, well, I knew this was going to be an experience and <laughs> it's, it, 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 it far exceeded my expectations. <laughs> like, like he's saying it in such a cock way. Yeah. Like, <laughs> What's well, like you, Mike, if you had a chance to uh, sing on a, a track with uh, Chad Kroger of Nickelback, <laughs> you know, you'd be like, man, fuck this guy. But I would come into the studio every day with some sort of weird hat with my face painted completely white until it drove them crazy. That's exactly what I would do. <laughs> Chad, why don't you sing this part in falsetto? Oh, I have Mike goes in there. I haven't even learned the song. <laughs> so, Mike, why are you on stilts? Because I'm so high, I can hear heaven. <laughs> oh, no. Is that that Spider-Man song? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so high. Ew, boy. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's crazy when you hear the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, it's nuts. <laughs> like, so we're jumping all over the place. But um, so Richard Stanley was, was taken off the set. He went crazy. Uh, literally, he didn't know how to handle a set the size of what they were giving him. Well, he, he was can, used he, to a smaller, more modest budget movie, and this got way out of hand. And he, quite frankly, he did. He won't cop to it, but from what everybody else was saying, he just cracked. Kind of lost it, he, yeah. He lost it. He didn't know what to do. So they kick him off the movie, and and they actually, they actually assign a guy to drop him off at the airport to make sure that he's gone. Yeah. And in the craziest turn of events, Richard Stanley doesn't get on that plane <laughs> off the coast of Australia. No, he runs into the forest, and he lives in the woods for like three months. So crazy. <laughs> Just living off the land, being a, a recluse in the woods. Well, there was a bunch of other hippies living out there, too. So, Frankenheimer wanted way more extras instead of just like the 10 or so that they had. He wanted hundreds of extras. And so what they did is they reached out to anybody and they got these, this like hippie commune that lived in the woods of Australia to basically come set up shop outside the set. And it was just this menagerie of drugs and sex and psychedelics and just the craziest <laughs> shit you can imagine. Just and a bunch of was... weirdos living in the woods. So Richard Stanley <laughs> sees these people 
and approaches them and quickly realizes that, oh, these are extras for Dr. Moreau. Mm -hmm. So he convinces somebody that he knew previous from when he was it working was actually on the set. The, it was actually the two guys who were tasked with taking him to the airport. Yes. Yeah. So they were extras and had, uh, one of them was the dog man. No, they weren't, they weren't extras. Well, he was. One of them was the dog man. It oh. was his costume. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Okay. So at least that's what I got from the doc. Oh, okay. I... Um, so he convinced, Richard Stanley convinces the extra to give him the costume. And so Richard Stanley starts showing up the set every day off of a movie he was banned from and kicked off the set. He's actually in the movie in one or two scenes as just an extra. Right. Watching his movie crumble to shit. Like, <clears throat> it is the most bizarre story and it's and it's crazy that i've ever heard and it's crazy because people there there started being like rumors that like oh it's it, it's almost richard like it's here. almost like he became like this mythical figure yeah. like richard is somewhere on this set but we have no <laughs> idea where he is because everybody's dressed like these mutant Can freaks you imagine that though like and, how awesome would that be and he said there was one there was one shot toward the end of the movie where uh it was one of the last scenes that they shot and it was when, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Moreau, they're burning his body. Yeah. Uh, there's my there first one all night. <laughs> they're burning his body, and, and his character is standing literally next to uh, a bunch of drums of gasoline. And I don't know why they actually had drums of gasoline, because they said they were full. Yeah. And then, and then somebody walks over, like one of the... Uh, like one of the crew walks over and hands him a torch and says, "Here, you hold this." He could have, and then at the right moment, you could, he could have just like he could have set, set the down. entire he set on fire. Destroyed everything, and he didn't. No, to his credit, he didn't. He just wanted to watch. Like, yeah, but it's Absolutely just so crazy, bad man. shit. Crazy man. Like, um, there was a, there was a time where Brando and Val Kilmer both wouldn't come out of their trailers before the other person. Like that's what <laughs> it was these a people, standoff. That's what they had no, to do. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. <laughs> That's <laughs> like the old girl. <laughs> no, you go out there first. No, That's exactly what it was. It, it... <laughs> and they, they, they wasted like an entire, like a half day of shooting because Kilmer wouldn't come out until Brando comes out, but Brando won't come out until Kilmer comes out. It's like, <laughs> it was just so stop. insane. Like when I heard that part in the documentary, I was like, this is madness. Like yeah. if I, if I had the opportunity if I the privilege to work on a uh, on a movie like an uh, like an awesome genre movie like this or any movie, there's no way I would ever act like that. It's just childish, you know. There's like, uh, just stop. Just go out and do your yeah, job. Yeah. You're getting paid millions of How, dollars. I give Frankenheimer all the all the props in the world for being able to handle these massive egos, and even he sounded like he was going crazy. Yep. Um, I think the only reason that he was able to uh, to really get what he got from this movie is because he was that old school style director. Yeah. Just yelling it like people. He was a yeller. Yeah. yeah like he people was... said, he's like one of the last of his kind. Where he's. He's the type of director who's like a tyrant on set. Like he screams at people yep. if they're not doing what they're Which supposed is not to be the doing. Way, not the correct way to run a set. It's not the right way to run a set, but I think it's probably <laughs> the only reason that he got anything out of this probably, movie. Probably. You know? Like if you had some guy who was just like soft spoken. But the thing was though. Oh, you guys mind coming out of your trailer? He might have done it to Kilmer, but he wasn't about to yell at Brando. He right. actually tried to buddy up to Brando, even though he's a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> right. Which probably didn't help things. No. Um, so in in the mix of all these other people, there's another actor by the name of Nelson De La Rosa, and no, I'm not talking about the singer of Rage Against the Machine. That's not his Zach name. De La Rocha. Okay. <laughs> I just I always think of him whatever. Um so <laughs> Nelson De La Rosa is this Spanish 
like 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 quasi Super celebrity. Star. No, not quasi. Was like, he that he big? Was, okay. They said they said no, he, he was wasn't like, that big. Huh? He well, wasn't. no, he was he was literally the the shortest man in the world. Seventeen or nineteen Se- inches. Seventeen inches tall. Yep. Um, and he was and, in his mid twenties. Uh, I, I think th- uh, he was born in '68. Yeah, so he was in mid 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 twenties. And he died in 2006 when he was 38. So he was 28 years old during the the filming yeah. of this movie. So he was he was this guy that they saw on like some Spanish uh, like, like variety TV show, show variety or something show. like that. Yeah, and they thought, well, this would be a really cool individual to put in like monster makeup and make a creature out of this tiny human. Mm-hmm. And so they approached him. He was all excited about it. They go, they life cast him in this net. He was only supposed to be like kind of a big character. Yeah. He wasn't even supposed to be that big. Brando shows up to set, falls in love with this little person, mm-hmm. and incorporates them into every single scene. Demanded. And, and he said he said this this man needs to be in every single scene. And me. there was another guy though that was cast who was a really good actor who was uh, supposed to be Marco Hofschneider was playing Maling. Yeah. Who was originally supposed to be sorry not to no, hijack this a, from you. No, he was Dr. Moreau's favorite son. He was his yeah, right-hand like the, man. Yeah, his right-hand man and he was supposed to be in most scenes with Moreau. He, so Brando pretty much got rid of this whole dude's scenes in the movie. He's in like five scenes towards the end of the movie mm-hmm. and that's it. And he's replaced by this 17-inch Mexican Spanish star. Those are two different things. I know. <laughs> Spanish speaking. There star. you go. <laughs> uh, but it's crazy because like the, the Frankenheimer had like could had no control. Brando was just oh, was no. just was just saying demanding. This but, is how it is now. This but, is how it is now. But you know what? That that actually came and he's he's from the Dominican Republic, by the way. Oh, okay. Just okay. To, and uh, and died in Rhode Island. Oh. <laughs> uh, he moved to Rhode Island afterward. Uh, he, I will say this though. The Rhode Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> it became, it became one of the most iconic things of the movie. Yeah. So, it did. so much that, so much that it was parodied later on in the Austin Powers movies. Is that really the, where it came from? Do you think? Yeah. Don't you remember? There was, uh, so I'm talking about mini me, obviously. Yeah. Um, don't you remember there was a, the, uh, the scene with, um, with Moreau and this this oh, little oh you're right they w- do the, the piano the little scene. guy he's you're right he's playing a grand piano and on top of the grand yep. piano yep is uh is um Majai they do the exact scene and he's oh my god he's playing right. the piano as well and Minnie Me and uh, Doctor Evil do that exact same yep. thing and they're always dressed alike yep you're right you're right you're and right. that was one of the things that uh, that crazy. Brando said he said. He said, I want him to be in every single scene with me, and he has to be dressed in the exact same clothes as me. Yeah. And it's the same with it's, it's the same with Minnie Me and uh Doctor Evil. It's, it's crazy, man. So it became like a like a like a like a phenomenon, like a pop culture phenomenon. For this movie that nobody likes. Vern, Vern Troyer <laughs> owes his entire career to to <laughs> Nelson De La Rosa. It's he true. does. It's true. I wonder, I, mean, ever, I wonder if they ever met in the early two thousands. That would be interesting to see, actually. Hmm. Huh. What, no, what like this, a rivalry. It's it's funny. Like this guy, this guy, like all the uh, the female extras and stuff in the movie. They said they were on this. They were in Karen's. Oh, the pig for, lady. Yeah, yeah. I was getting to that. They were in Karen's. They ended up being in Karen's for like six and a half months. It, the 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 shoot was originally supposed to be like eight weeks, and they yeah. ended up being there for six and a half months. And they said that they would they would go out to the club like every night, and he would just they would form a circle around him. Not just because he was awesome and he loved to dance, but also like they were worried that he would be trampled if yeah. people didn't notice him on sure, the dance floor sure. because he's only he's like a foot and a half 
high. And he had a pretty voracious sexual appetite, she, from my understanding. That, too. that exact woman said he was very sexual, like all the time. <laughs> like that's it. He would be sitting on all the women's la- uh, laps and stuff, and we we really loved him. Like he we he, but he would turn to them every once in a while and just make these like super sexual comments. <laughs> He'd walk and have custom pants with three legs. That giant <laughs> dick would be dragging on the ground. Tripod, baby. <laughs> so weird. No, but the thing I was gonna say about the girl who played the pig lady is. It was it was one of the parts that I was most annoyed about in the documentary is uh she's like she's like uh I, I showed up for this um I showed up for the uh um audition and they got me walking around making these like absurd pig noises and like uh, just just the stupidest audition I've ever been to and I I immediately left the place and I called my agent and I said don't ever send me on any audition like that again this was absolute bullshit and then she goes uh, and then, uh, and then Stan Winston calls me, uh, like a month later and says, we need you, we need you yeah. here for body casting like tomorrow. And she's like, and I got the part. And I was like, screw yeah. you. You you just got done saying like this whole thing was bullshit and you, you thought it was yeah. so stupid. I mean, and then you're like, oh yeah. And then that being said though, it's going to pay you a ton. I can definitely understand well, it. Well, obviously, but like, I, I guess... I, I'm not in the acting world, so I don't really know what it's like to go through this kind of stuff. But sure. but to me, like I said earlier, to me, like being on the set of a of a big movie would seem like such an awesome privilege. Yeah, like I would never, I would never talk shit sure, like that. Sure. Of course, it would be a nightmare, like going through all this stuff. But for the most part, it sounded like when they weren't filming, it's it was a big party. They were yeah. having fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I, maybe they weren't being paid. Well, oh no, actually they even addressed oh, they, it. They, they said they said they got paid really, got really paid well. Really Their well. per diems were so large that at one point they were just buying buying random, random shit. shit. Like they bought a huge um like one of those track car, uh like the the old track yeah. car racer oh, yeah. tracks, and it took up like slot half cars. of a hotel slot cars. slot cars, and they, it took up like a whole like a half of a hotel room, and that was the racing room, and there was another. There was another room that was the music room. There was another room that was the drugs room. And there was another room that was the sex room. <laughs> I have a drugs room in my house. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just it, like the whole, uh, even aside from what you see on camera, the whole behind the scenes thing, so, it sounds like it was just an absolute So meanwhile, while all, crazy this, time. while all this is going on on location, though, all of this information is being reported on, though, through like the Hollywood press and everything else. Mm-hmm. And so people are hearing about the making of this movie and how absolutely Bonkers. insane this production is. Mm-hmm. And so by the time this movie comes out, it wasn't it was a there, it wasn't really even a secret at all the problems this movie had. So when it came out, people went into watching this movie just knowing how crazy this production was. And I think that had a lot to do with I think that it did too and I think that's one of the reasons why this movie has such a bad reputation right. is because of everything that overflowed out to, outside of what the actual movie was. Right. And I think that's one of that that's it's <clears throat> don't don't judge a book by its cover, you know? Like its cover in this case was all the negative press that this movie had for months and months and months leading up to its release. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you go into something with this bad um, impression of what it's supposed to be, right. it can be very difficult to appreciate it for what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, was it supposed? It was supposed to be something completely different. Yeah. If Richard Stanley had stayed on and directed this movie, it would not be the movie that we got, no. the Frankenheimer version. It, no, would be, it would be so vastly different. Every, I, I can't even everybody describe in the, it. Everybody in the doc actually said, like, I, I almost 
like you know 20 20 some odd years removed i would i'm actually really curious as to what it would have been like yeah. if richard stanley would have i agree ended up directing it i agree i would love to see it mm-hmm um, unfortunately, we'll never get it. No, it'll never you know? happen. Uh, <laughs> Richard Stanley promptly stopped directing movies, and he lives in the hills by himself somewhere. Like in he's, French. he's, he's, he's a recluse. He's like up in the French mountains. Yeah, somewhere. probably he, with some hippies doing drugs, <laughs> <Yeah. and laughs> surrounded made, by a bunch of friends. weird animal people. <laughs> it's funny. There was one scene in particular, like guy uh, Faruka Balk's uh, uh, character, Faruza. Faruza Balk's character. Um, she's. She's a pretty attractive character in the movie or whatever. And you don't find out until later in the movie that she actually is one of them and she's mm-hmm. starting to transform and this and that. In Stanley's original script, uh, she was a lot less human. And in the first scene where um, Edwards and and her basically have their first hookup, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, he's working his... How he describes it, he's working his way down her chest to like her first breast and then goes to a second breast underneath it and like a third on like, like a sow. And it's like, it's him. No, working his... She was a cat or she was a cat. Yeah. yeah sorry. Um, and so, but she, but she has six nipples and right. like six breasts and like she's, and, and she, and he's working his way down and her pubic hair is so thick and full that it comes out from between her legs and up her belly. And like, <laughs> it's like this really crazy description yeah. of like this weird interspecies love thing. Like, it's weird. It is bonkers. And I totally understand why the studio toned that down. I yeah. get it. And that was toned down before he even left. But if he could have made the movie that he wanted to make, this could go down in history as one of the single craziest like cinematic oddities mm-hmm. ever. Like, it, it, I don't know, man. I would have killed to see his vision. I yeah. really, really would have. Not, yeah. not just because I like weird cat sex. And also, but and also, it would have kinda, had a kind of because of that. It though. also would have had a quite <laughs> different cast too, because if you remember from the doc, it was it was originally supposed to be. Uh, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis and James Woods. Yep. Well, Willis, though, quit because of his divorce to Demi Moore. So right. he left regardless. Right. But, yeah, cra- it just you can you can hear from our from what we've been saying, though, how absolutely insane the making of this movie was. Yeah. Uh, if you, if how you, it became if, something normal is beyond me. I, I, I they, There should be a Lifetime Achievement Award I mean, for, for Frankenheimer, the editor, and the cinematographer of this movie. It's still not normal. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 pretty. It's a pretty wild movie. But and uh, the animals are. I love the hyena laugh. Mm-hmm. Hyena. I always Hi, say hyena. Hyena. I love the hyena laugh. Like I, I that character was so cool. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I think that's kind of. I think that's kind of it. Uh, the the. The uh, the documentary that we watched is on Shutter, uh-huh. so if you don't have Shutter, it's five dollars. You should probably have. We fi- seem to be seeing the probably have Shutter. Shutter every single week. Yeah, one of these days, Shutter should probably you know start sponsoring us or something. But <laughs> yeah, that, that's not gonna happen. No. <laughs> but we will still sing sing their praises. Uh, check out check out uh, Lost Soul. On uh, on Shutter, if you have it, it's a really cool documentary. Yep. And and and, if, and and check out Island of Doc yeah, Moreau if, if you've, you've never seen it. If you've only ever heard bad things about it, give it a shot. And if it's been a long time since you've seen it and you remember not liking it, I would still say give it a shot. Give it another shot. Um, it's it uh, with fresh eyes. It's it's nowhere near as bad as as people say that it is. It's no. just it's just not. Yep, that's that's yeah. a that's a fact. That is a fact as also, far as we're concerned. Also, what is a fact is that you can find us on social media at Instagram, 
Facebook, and SoundCloud at the Buzzed Kill Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at the Buzzed Kill PC. Uh, we're on iTunes. You can give us ratings. I say uh, I would say that this episode deserves at least four stars. Yeah. At least four. Five if you're feeling generous. I'll take four. Uh, and I want you to comment and uh, tell us about your um, your most memorable sexual experience with a cat. That's that's what I want to know. Yeah. This week, I would actually in like, the comments. I'd actually like to just uh, DM me. I want to hear those stories like in full detail. <laughs> can you uh, can you find the Buzzkill podcast on Vero yet? <laughs> Not yet. Maybe we might fold though. If you want to find J Rod, you can find me on all social media at Ocean Recording, and also check out www.oceanrecordingstudio.com for all your fantastic audio needs. Yes, sir. Well, all right, uh, guys. Yeah, I think that's I think that's it. Let's let's, uh, let's recage the beast. Let's ra- raise our beast. Cheers, Ooh, boys. It's a weird, it's very non-satisfying. Yeah, it's really non-satisfying when you have cans. It's aluminum. Uh, all right. Well, MP. later. <laughs>